The Perfect Ten. With Steve Allen, voice of the NRL and six-time Radio Award winner. Yeah, welcome to another edition of The Perfect Ten. Great to have you on board. I hope you're doing well. And for the second episode in a row, a head coach. We had Dan Ryan recently, premiership winning coach with the West Coast Fever. And what a story that is. And now, Brad Donald from the Gillaroos, Australia's women's rugby league team. Brad is perfect. Eight from eight since taking over in 2017. And one thing's for sure, Aussies love our female sporting teams. So the Aussie women's cricketers are number one, followed by the Matildas, led by Sam Kerr at number two. Then you've got teams like the Australian Nepal Diamonds, who just won the Commonwealth Games in a thriller against Jamaica, the Sunshine Girls. The Rugby Sevens, they also won in Birmingham against the Fijian team. And the Gillaroos are a team that we all love. And in my role with the National Rugby League since 1999, I've been privileged to watch the evolution of the game, some of the brilliant players that have come through, some of them are dear friends, and I'm really looking forward to watching the girls defend their title in England later on this year at the World Cup. Just before we get to Brad Donald live on the Gold Coast, I've got a special guest on the line. The naming rights partner of The Perfect Ten is Robson Civil Projects. They're celebrating their 60th anniversary. We've got the big kahuna, or should I say technically the managing director of Robson Civil Projects, Grant Robson, good morning, mate, and welcome to The Perfect Ten. Morning, Steve. Thanks very much for having us on. Yeah, look, can I put you on the spot? Have you got a favourite Perfect Ten episode in the 39 that we've done so far? I think the best one I listened to was the one you did with uh, David Fairley. I thought that was great. That was fantastic. He was very emotional and, um, yeah, it was quite emotional listening to it. Yeah, particularly talking about the floods in Townsville. Oh, yeah, definitely. Just sort of, yeah, tears your heartstrings hearing what he, what they went through him and his family it's just, just terrible yeah and we were just saying off the air uh, what a sad day it is nationwide almost like a day of mourning after the loss of the beautiful angelic olivia newton john yeah shattering really she was such an icon for every australian and uh yeah she's going to be sorely missed great ambassador for the country and such a shame but i guess she's not suffering now she's been battling cancer for a long time so uh uh, unfortunate. Yeah, well said, mate. Well said. Uh, congratulations on the 60th anniversary of Robson Civil Projects. We've been talking about it on the Perfect Ten with a lot of other guests. And uh, how have the celebrations been? Yeah, been great. Look, it's been pretty low key, obviously because of COVID and whatnot. Back when we uh, hit our 50th milestone, we had a big celebration, a big party. But with the uncertainty of COVID this time around, we just thought best just to give some spend the money giving out some gift packs and some memorabilia for for this, I guess, great occasion. So that's what we've been doing and uh, we've been handing that out to our employees and obviously our valued clients and subcontractors that all helped us get to where we are today. I tell you, it's staggering when you hear 60 years and there's been lots of kind of photos bouncing around, a lot of people celebrating milestones within the business, but what have been some of your favourites? Oh, I think the one that really grabs me is the older photos and the one in particular was my grandfather there with his, his foot up on the on the side of a dozer talking to the Caterpillar serviceman at the time. That sort of just to me epitomises our family. We treat everyone equal, doesn't matter whether you're a subcontractor a uh, construction worker just starting out or one of our senior employees, we uh, we treat everyone with the, the same respect that uh, they all deserve. Hey, Grant, I know that your time is precious. Are you able to come back and share more of your story on The Perfect Ten in later episodes? Yeah, I would love to, Steve. It'd be an honour. Grant Robson, 
Managing Director of Robson Civil Projects, celebrating their 60th anniversary. And thank you as always. I'm privileged to have them as a naming rights partner of The Perfect 10. Okay, let's get to the man who's been perfect since taking over the role as head coach of the Gillaroos in 2017. Eight from eight so far. And of course, later on this year, his team will defend its world title in England. He played a cameo recently on The Perfect 10 when Corbin Baxter was on our show, and that's one of the most popular podcasts that we've done, and he's back for his own edition. Uh, Brad Donald, welcome to The Perfect 10. Thanks for having me, mate. uh, I don't think I can live up to Corbin's reputation because she's a wonderful human, but um, we'll give it a crack anyway, eh? Yeah, and the Corbin episode, it it has been one of the most popular, and every time I take a look, it's had more listens. What a great leader she's been and a premiership-winning captain now. Yeah, it's it's like a remarkable story, you know. She's a... Unbelievable athlete, and, and, and as your listeners would have would have heard, um, really good human, works really hard. You know, she's gonna, you know, she, she'll end up playing some more footy, but you know, she'll we'll see her in other positions, in influential positions across the game in the in the future as well. Hey, Brad, by the way, you're the second coach in a row on the Perfect Ten because Dan Ryan, the Premiership winning coach from West Coast Fever, joined us. What a story he had! He lost 27 games in a row at the Adelaide Thunderbirds and then went to the UK, pretty much funded his coaching career with his life savings, then comes back to the West Coast, and then he leads them to the promised land, creating history with their first premiership. Yeah, look, I, I don't think you really um, understand how good of a, a coach you are or you, you understand whether or not you are a good coach until you've been through um, some some trials and tribulations like that. And, um, you know, I... A very, very long time ago, I, you know, I wasn't much of a coach coaching in, in Western Division and um, I'd been with a really successful team and uh, we did really, really well. And I remember an opportunity came up to, to coach at a, at, a, at a club across in Orange who would only just come back into the competition in first grade. And, um, and I remember thinking that it was something that I had to do. Certainly wasn't, um, you know, at the point where we'd lost 27 games or anything, but you really find out a lot about yourself and your motivations and your players' motivations when you go through something like that. So what a massive credit to him. Yeah. How do you rectify the situation? I mean, you've got to believe in your philosophies and just trying to pick people up when they're down. And he said he had to put out so many spot fires away from the normal role. It's, it's, it's really easy for, for me to sit here with a, the Gillaroo success record and say it's all plain sailing. You know, we haven't lost a test match, but I can tell you in, in my coaching career, um, we've lost a lot of a lot of games. And, you know, if you if you sit on, on the, the plus side of 50 um, as a, a percentage record, then you're, um, you're a good coach. Hey, I want to talk about you playing and coaching in country New South Wales. But first I want to ask, are you a women's rugby league historian? I mean, there should be statues of Nellie Doherty and Molly Kane. Uh, I'm sure you can pick up the story. But, yeah, they wrote to the New South Wales Rugby League back in 1921, and then they end up being involved in a game that has 20,000 fans. I think Dally Messenger is there and puts on some kind of, you know, kicking exhibition but rugby league dates all the way back to the early 20s. Yeah, it does, mate. And it's a very important part of my role. Um, and I think it's it's one of the things that we've been able to utilise in terms of growing the game. And, um, yeah, look, the, the Nelly Doherty Cup was actually the, the name of the – the cup when we used to play New South Wales and Queensland interstate games, which was basically what State of Origin is now, except it wasn't State of Origin. It was, you know, it was a residence-based team. 
Um, and that's how a, you know, a Central Coast uh, kid ends up coaching a Queensland women's side. But, uh, yeah, w- one thing that we've, we're, we, we always recognise that those that have gone before us. In 1993, there was an Australian team that was brought together for the first time and played the first game. In 1995 was the first Gillaroos uh, test match. Uh, the first time that everybody could come together and represent the team. So, um, history is is certainly something that we talk a lot about in uh, in the in the in the team environment and and right across the game to make sure that we we understand we stand on the shoulders of some some giants like Nelly Doherty. What in the world happened? So it folded not long after that, and then it kind of resurrects itself maybe in the nineteen seventies and. Did WA play a key role as well? Right across, there's actually little pockets of it, and the there were the, the Indigenous knockouts um, have have played a role in it. And there's been there's there's sprinklings of of um, games all across the country, to be honest. Um, and it wasn't really until some some competitions in the Canberra region, southeast Queensland, really got that momentum to to build into a, a nationals type scenario in the in the late 90s and it's it's almost embarrassing for for a lot of us that have been around the game for a long time to understand that there was that this was going on without any sort of support mm. and 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 and, that, and that's probably that's 100% the reason why I actually got involved back in 2011 like I got asked to go and coach a team I got told about the there was a couple of Gillaroos there. I went down to the session. They were unbelievable. I couldn't believe that these ladies were playing for their country and they hadn't been exposed to some of the simple um, the, the simple things that um, would have been probably shown or exposed to as, as males. I want to get to that because I believe your journey pretty much starts at a school gala day. But first, can I just ask this? According to Wikipedia, and this looks vague at, this looks vague at best, but you're the ninth Gillaroos coach. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right, mate. Yep. And a few of your predecessors are just absolute legends of the game, the late Graham Murray and also the late Stephen Folks. Yeah, look, you know, there's, um, again, it's something that we always recognise when we come together. Um, are those players and those staff that and, – and those two those two guys, like, um, they brought unbelievable profile to the game and that's helped the game – end up where it is now. Now, Graham Murray was the first real high-profile coach to to take the, the Gillaroos on um, and, and that bought with it and, and his unique way of, of, of making sure that, um, he was, you know, a loud and boisterous fella you know, helped broadcast the Gillaroos um, uh, their intent right right across the game and then and then folksy in a different way you know like a, a really quiet guy but a, a premiership winner just brought a whole heap of profile to to the team in that role so yeah really fortunate and you know we've, we've also had a, seven other coaches as well and, and and one female coach along along the way there too and, and hopefully when when my time comes that we we see one of those uh, you know, those outstanding females stand up and, and coach this side into the future. Yeah, so you feel like the baton has been passed to you and you've got an obligation to leave it in a better shape. Mate, 100%. And look, that's, that's you know, I'll, I'll probably tell you a whole bunch of little quotes and things that we live by um, in the in the Gillaroo system. And it all starts, you know, with us coming together in 16 and asking a few questions. And it was really, really important to those players at that time and us as staff that we leave the jersey in a better place. And no matter whether it, we come together for a game, a camp, a campaign, a tournament, that that's something that we need to do. So for, for, for us, um, we've got a major responsibility, not just to, to win 
um, games, but to ensure that, you know, the next, the succession is right and we leave the place better for those people that will come in and, and do great things b- behind us. Hey, Brad, before we even talk about coaching, you've got a lifelong love of the game and you're a player yourself in country New South Wales. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, mate. Look, I wasn't a very good player. I grew up on the Central Coast and played a lot of soccer, actually, um, and ended up out west in Bathurst and and did some sort of did my, my coaching apprenticeship out there, you could say, while I was playing. You know, coached some junior teams, some some under 18s teams, and then captain coached a few sides, and and ended up with the the, the mighty Orange Sims for a year before before heading down to to Canberra Raiders to do some coaching there. So, um, in terms of my playing career, it's very short, but it also um, it it also allows me to see the wonderful people and the wonderful network that we've got out there that just love the game and and hopefully I can help inspire someone like me you know that just love the game like being around it didn't really care how good we were but um, made sure that we we, we left about the, the, the place better and um, yeah and and be able to, to to step into different roles along the way and end up where we are now it's 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 really uh, it's really satisfying and I'm, I'm extremely grateful for everybody that's been part of that process. So, Brad, when you played footy, who were your clubs, uh, firstly on the Central Coast? Yeah, well, actually, um, mate, I grew up uh, in Arimba playing playing soccer for, for Arimba and my brother, I think he's, he probably played about 350 games for the, for the Magpies and had a younger brother, a couple of younger brothers. So my mum and dad were, were really embedded there. But it wasn't until I, I moved away, mate, that I really started playing footy um, outside of the stuff at Lizero High School. And, um, yeah, so the Bathurst Penguins and the Bathurst Panthers were, were as, as well as playing some some university footy at the college up there as well um, before heading over to Orange Sims. Yeah. Hey, just with uh, Arimba, for our Perfect 10 audience, it's a famous footy club because – Dave Fairley played there. He was the first local junior to play for Australia. And James Maloney also came through Orimba. And uh, the journalist Paul Kent, uh, he was there too, probably played with your brother. Yeah, mate, yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, all those names. And um, I actually have a bit of a story. The first day that I started work at the Canberra Raiders, I jumped on the bus and I happened to be sitting next to Mick Crawley, um, who had just been appointed as an assistant coach there as well. And, and we got talking and it took us about three seconds to realise that we we're from the same hometown. And, uh, you know, Mick's another one that sort of carved a, a, a great coaching career out of being a really good junior coach on the Central Coast. So, um, yeah, Arimba's been a been a, a, a great spot and a, a great breeding ground for, for lots of good rugby league people. There's been a lot of talk about the state of the game in country New South Wales, but you're at Orange Sims. Can you tell us more about that footy club? I mean, that's a club with such a proud history. Yeah, it is. And look, that was, um, you know, I only spent one year there after spending sort of 10 years at at Bathurst Panthers. And it's a club that had really rich history. They had a a really good old boys network. Unfortunately, the the couple of years before um, I'd gone across there, they didn't. They were unable to fund a first grade side, and they only had a reserve grade side running around in Group Ten. But the old boys pulled together, and and um, and basically, you know, we we were we were the start of, of bringing that back together. And um, it, it, Mick Sullivan landed as the head coach there, and they um, had unbelievable success over the ten years that he was there. One of the things that they've got right there is a really strong old boys and old girls now. I know there's a lot of um, tag happening out that way. 
network that really drives the club and, and drives the town. And it's where Peter Mortimer's got a winery in Orange as well, the Great Bulldog. But I'm showing my bias, my blue and white bias. <laughs> hey, so during this period, you gain your teaching degree as well. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right, mate. Yeah, I, I went off to, to university in Bathurst to, to get a teaching degree. And I, I did do a couple of years of teaching at the Scott School in Bathurst whilst we are playing a bit of footy. Um, and then in about 2000 and 2001, like an opportunity popped up to the the game had just built a new arm of, of the um, called Australian Rugby League Foundation. Basically, was to to promote the game at grassroots, and um, I picked up an opportunity to work with them in the Country Rugby League as a, a development officer in in Western New South Wales there for for four or five years, basically all the way from from, from Lithgow to, to Broken Hill and all the wonderful little country towns in between. So it's a, it's a really, I've got really fond memories of my time out there and then the rugby league network um, in Western New South Wales for, for those five years. Yeah, you must have done hundreds of thousands of kilometres in that time. But um, your story to land the top job, I mean, talk about the moons being aligned and being in the right place at the right time. Is it true that you organise some high school gala day and then it starts to snowball? Tell me more. Yeah, it does. So this was my time in Canberra and basically we'd been asked by the, the ARL to to put on women's gala day and they were starting to or it was a girls' gala day. They were starting to fund these these type of events, and and we put out an expressions of interest to schools, and didn't really think too too much of it. And before we knew it, there was like three or four hundred people that arrived at our fields in Braddon, um, young ladies all dressed up with their brothers' shoulder pads and mouth guards in, and it was unbelievable. It was like. You know, at, at first, I think the murmur around the office was, you know, like why would why would why would girls want to play? And and we, we realised really really quickly that it wasn't our decision um, as males um, that little girls were being counted with their feet as they rolled into this gala day. And one of the greatest experiences I'd ever seen the the camaraderie on the sidelines to the empowerment of the the young ladies taking the field. It, um, it really started, that's probably where I started to catch the bug um, to really make sure and, and sense that responsibility to make sure we gave that opportunity to to little little girls and boys from, from that point forward. What, so hundreds show up and then what happens next? Pretty much um, I'd moved to, to southeast Queensland um, to, to run coaching and development for the, for the Queensland Rugby League and, and I was really adamant that I wanted to stay coaching and with me being here for a, for a month or so, I'd, I'd heard about a, a team that they wanted me to go and help out with. It was like a southeast Queensland women's team. And um, I quite openly admit that I was sort of going, oh, you, know, you know, I've just come from an NRL club here, you know, like I, I want to be a coach and you're giving me like this, what, what is this southeast Queensland team? And they basically said, oh, look, you know, there's some ladies there that have played for the Gillaroos for a very long time. And I had a little bit of wind about who the Gillaroos were and, and within, you know, that, that, that night in uh, South Brisbane basically changed my rugby league journey for the last 12 years. So I rolled up with another staff member who'd just come out of the Dragon system. We'd gone to this, we'd put together this session comprehensively. Basically, we were looking at each other saying, these girls are unbelievably coachable. Our session that was planned for two hours took about an hour and a half that they just did everything like clockwork. And then you know I'll, I'll go into what happened afterwards because it's a it's a great it's a great distinction between the difference between male and females because you know if that had been a male session all the all the all the guys would have gotten their cars and they would have driven off but I think it probably took me about two hours to get out of there as each and every one of those ladies rolled up and wanted to have a bit of a chat and 
um, build some connection and, 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 and tell a story and, and, and basically uh, they wanted to understand that I was there for the right intention. So, um, yeah, it was a late night, but, but one of the greatest things that happened to me on my journey. Yeah, so communication is paramount. Yeah, it is. And, and look, what had happened was there was a coach who'd coached that team for quite a while who didn't have the right accreditation. And, and my first instinct was, well, why isn't there a female coaching females? And I, um, I, I'd asked the, the manager at the QRL, I said, is there a player in here that, that I can talk to about that? And the great Karen Murphy was the, the person that he pointed to. And she'd actually come in before this session. And she basically said to me, I said, well, why isn't there a female? And she goes, we don't want a female. We just want the right person. And I went, okay, no worries. And she said, the best thing you can do is show up a second time. Ooh, <laughs> wow. Is, because, wow. Because and, a lot of, And for what, our what, listeners, we're, we're talking <laughs> about a lady who her career was in the police force. She's been involved with the NRL Integrity Unit. Now I believe she's the head coach of the Gold Coast. So we're, we're talking about an absolute legend who says, you need to show up again. Massive. <laughs> Pretty much, mate. And uh, we quite often joke about it because she's a very quiet and humble lady. And um, I remember thinking at that point there, well, you know, I'll show you. If you want me to help, I'll help. And it wasn't really <laughs> it wasn't really until, you know, we got through a few sessions and understood the magnitude because I think these guys had had so many people come in and use it as a springboard off into other areas of the game, um, as well as the as as well as the people that had that had come and, and, and offered as much as they could could show the girls as well. So yeah, it was it was really sobering. But really good too, because you know it gives it gives us insight into into now. You know, like it doesn't have to be a female that coaches females; it just needs to be the right person. And we just need to make sure we're giving opportunities to females, not just to coach in the female space, but opportunities for females to coach and, and be a part of the male space as well. Yeah, yeah, it's very powerful that uh, you know don't use this as a springboard. This is the opportunity right here in front of you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And, and you know, almost by accident for me, I just got invested. And, you know, as, as I mentioned, I was, I was, I was the, the Queensland manager for, for, for game development and coaching. And, and then all of a sudden, it, I could start to see gaps where these guys weren't getting support. And there was lots and lots of gaps. So it's taken a long time. And we've still got a lot of a lot of gaps to fill, but in my day job, and and basically that's that's overlapped the whole journey all the way through now to the Gillaroos role, um, is making sure that we try and get some sort of equity between our programs. Yeah, Brad, you live where I grew up, and all my family is still there. So I went to Palm Beach Corumbin High School, and I played mostly AFL, but also some rugby league. And both of my brothers were very good rugby league players with Chugan. That southeast Queensland pocket, it is rich, fertile ground for rugby league. And I dare say now, women's rugby league in that area is just thriving. It is, mate. Um, I just off the back of, I'm also one of my uh, part-time, well, not, not part-time, volunteer positions. I, I've got a, a, a role on the Rugby League Gold Coast board as the, I head the female participation committee here. And, and we just started an under-12s challenge uh, called the Karina Brown Challenge where it's the first time we've actually had girls only opportunity for our girls here on the Gold Coast and we basically had eight clubs filled with uh, young under 12 girls and we had our final get together at Parkwood 
on Sunday and it was huge. It was unbelievable. It was packed. I've, I've been running around the coast here for 13 years with my boys playing rugby league and I've never seen the place as full. So, um, And school rugby league is is getting big for our females as well and there's opportunities in 14, 16 and 18. So, yeah, it really is um, a great time to be a female athlete and there's great access to opportunities here in the southeast. Yeah, and you and I, we both saw the schoolgirls game before State of Origin 3 at Suncorp Stadium, New South Wales versus Queensland, historic match. And you'd have to say the next generation, they are banging on the door because that game was magnificent. Yeah, it was, mate. And, you know, this is one of the joys of my day job as well. So when these opportunities come up for curtain raiser matches or, you know, the Australian schoolboys sits in in my remit for for the uh, for my day job is that we start to ask questions about what opportunities we can give the girls. And, and as you saw, the uh, the New South Wales ACT um, side and, and the and the Queensland side, you know, there's some some girls there that could quite easily skip out of that out of that match and into the NRLW in the next couple of months. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see that. And, uh, you know, you only have to have a good season and you're playing rep footy as well. Brad, a lot of this has happened on your watch. So in the last two decades, we, and I mean Australia, has done a superb job. We couldn't beat New Zealand and even lost to them 50-6 to in the World Cup back in 2000. Great Britain also beat us in that campaign. But now we're the dominant force in Women's Rugby League. 2013, of course, is a turning point, and 2017. Is there a simple answer in how we've turned everything around in a couple of decades? Is it pathways and high-performance programs? Mate, yeah, you've pretty much nailed it. Um, that's 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 what it is. The the pathways, what the, the school system's built, what the club system's built to give opportunities for our young ladies to play has seen more and more females play the game for one. But then the second thing is, like in 2016 when we were appointed, I found a really a knowledgeable strength and conditioning coach and high-performance manager who really bit into the female space because there's very little literature or research out there about females in collision sports. And what we what we did there was even just started the, the testing process with our Gillaroo squad of about 35 and I remember standing in front of the group and saying, who here's got a, a strength program? And there was only seven or eight hands that went up. So from that point, and it's it's sad to think that it was only in 2016, we've made sure that our athletes have had access to, to gyms, to programs, to knowledge, to education, uh, where they can be the best player that they can be. Like we're not in a full-time program yet where that's all that our, our ladies do. But we've certainly got access to that information and, and and all the tools. So I think that's what's happened. Where the the Kiwis are, they're unbelievable. Like you know, they we're always apart from the early days where they they did give our girls a bit of a hiding because um, you know some phenomenal athletes over there. And I think what's what sort of happened to them is the rugby program so big, so the the better athletes and the opportunities might come more in rugby for for them. And we'll see uh, them a lot stronger this year after a number of their players will play in the NRLW. So it's really healthy. It's really healthy competition. And, and we, we, we certainly help those guys as well because we, we feel a responsibility that we want to bring them on the, on the journey as well. Yeah, 2017 is obviously going to be vivid for you. But 2013, have you got memories of us winning the World Cup that year? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I was um, fortunate enough to be the Queensland coach at the time, so I had a number of players, and I knew a number of the players that that were in that were in the system, like the Karen Murphys, 
were were going to retire after after the World Cup, and you know that they copped such a that's copped such a hard time those ladies over such a long time from the Kiwis. Um, Paul Dyer was a coach, um, did a wonderful job. I think they lost in a in a in a pool match against um, against New Zealand, but just had them primed for the for the for the final, and it was a, it was a unbelievable. Um, I remember watching on on the on the old live stream um, and and feeling how proud those girls were. It was great for the the Karen Murphys, Nat Dwyer, um, a number of a number of ladies, Tani Norris, um, who retired on the back of that World Cup campaign. So yeah, yeah, I remember it like it was. It was only a, a couple of months ago. Yeah, yeah. And 2017, you've got a squad of 24. Now, you just mentioned about some women who were about to retire, but you do something that's almost unprecedented. You have 16 debutantes, which is pretty much almost unheard of at national level. Five of the players in the 24 had captained the team before. So what a nucleus of a squad you've got, young and up-and-comers, 16 in fact, and then five former captains in that squad as well. Tell us more about the squad that you assembled to get the job done in 2017. Yeah, it was it was difficult. There was a couple of difficult things that happened during that year. One of the, you know, we, we'd asked the group, we said, you know, like what are some of the things you want to see change in this program? And one of them was around fitness standards and um we basically said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll put a, a standard in place and a procedure. And our first test match was in May before, before the World Cup in, later in that year. And, and we did the testing and our captain at the time, Steph Hancock, she, she missed the cutoff by, by one run, you know, like she got 16.5 and the, the, we'd basically said that you needed to, to, to reach 17 for selection. Now it was it was an interesting time, and the group had to have a really good hard look at themselves as to whether or not they wanted those standards to be high. And Steph ended up missing out, and and that's uh, was was Ru's op- Ruan's opportunity to come in and, and captain the side, and she did a wonderful job for that Test match. And Steph went away, and she worked really really hard. She worked so hard; there was no way that she was going to miss out on that um, on that World Cup uh, squad. And we'd had Renee as well, um, who had captained the side, so it, it made sense to have to have three three um three captains for that campaign um they're basically three-day turnarounds so we actually had to to cycle through the, the the group of 24 and it took it took 24 of us in that mentality that we would have 24 players needed to to make sure that we won the the world cup so it was a plan that we'd sort of hatched together we'd had as, as you mentioned a number of young players there was players that had been in the mix for a couple of games and then there was the really experienced players like um, Steph, like uh, Renee and, and Ruan, so and and Heather Ballinger. So we were, yeah, it was a really good mix, and it, you know the plan came together. Yeah, and there's a young Ali Brigginshaw in that team, a player that we're privileged to see in our lifetime. Absolutely, and look, you know, Ali's been a, a sensational player since the moment she arrived in the women's game because she'd played. I think she was the first girl to to actually play at the Queensland Primary School Championships, where you know tucked underneath a headgear. I don't think anybody even realised that <laughs> Ali was a female and um, you know, gets, gets picked as player of the tournament. So, you know, had to play touch and other versions of the game between then and, and 18. But uh, now she'd been around for a bit as well. You know, she played in the 2013 World Cup uh, and she was magnificent through the through the tournament. So we were, she, I think she was our only player that actually played every game 
during the World Cup for the for the entirety of of the World Cup. So she was fit, she was strong, she looked after herself, and and she basically guided the team through to the World Cup success. And she's been tremendous ever since for the Broncos. You mentioned about Steph Hancock, so another legend of the women's game. And there's a photo of you beside her on the stage celebrating after winning. But what are your recollections of the game itself? Yeah, um, lots of people telling me that I was calm, but I was far from calm. Um, it was a really hot day. Like it was, it, it felt like it was 40 degrees, even sitting up in the air-conditioned coach's box. But um, yeah, it was, uh, in, in many respects, it seemed to drag on forever while we're ahead, but it was also over in a flash. And um you know, yeah, just just to see those. I don't. I, you've probably you probably heard me talk about this story a, a couple of times, but I look back now and I think, what a stupid place for the coach to be. You know, the coach shouldn't be on the stage with the player. But one of the things that happened when we when when Steph had been dropped way back in May is we built this dream together. We said, mate, you keep working hard. You know, she she'd had a vision that she wanted to raise the World Cup, and I said, there's no reason that that won't happen. And I guarantee you, I'll be standing there next year when you do it. And, you know, we pictured the seats, the flames, how warm it would be on the 2nd of December in 2017. So it just happened. It was like we'd visualised this this dream. It had come true and, and there's the record for everyone to see and that's why the, the Buffhead coach is on the stage standing next to the player. Oh, I, I love that. I love, I think it was around about 2016 where the NRL, and I was lucky enough to do the presentation that night when Cronulla won, Shane Flanagan is the first coach that's actually on stage to hand over, I think he hands over the premiership ring to each player, and I think that's a magnificent moment. Yeah, it is. It's a real privilege. Like, as a coach, you see the amount of work that your players put in and what it means to them. So it's, a, it's really great to be able to be part of that that joy and um, and that acknowledgement of the player. And it's certainly, it's certainly not... You know, none of this, none of this ride or this journey, I can promise, is about Brad Donald. It's about the women's game. It's about the Karen Murphys, the Nat Dwyers, the Tani Norrises, the Katrina Fannings, and the Tasha Gales. It's about making sure that we recognise what they've done and and bring them up. So it is those things are, are great for a coach to be a part of, and, and certainly I, I could vouch for every coach. It's, it's not about them, and they it's it's about their players. Hey, Brad, we've seen some problems in other women's sports in Australia, and I won't mention them on the podcast, but we all know who they are. When it comes to culture, what separates the Gillaroos to other sports, in your opinion? Oh, look, I think we've, we've got a really strong well-being focus. And, um, and again, sorry if you've heard this before, some of the greatest things and the way that we coach, the greatest things that have happened in, in my coaching career are the players that have reached out. And, you know, I remember Jess, Jess Serges rang me in tears about, 12 months ago and I'm thinking, oh, I hope she's not pregnant. But she tells me that she's <laughs> she's just bought a house and she said, I wouldn't have done that if you guys and your wellbeing team hadn't have sat down with me and helped me put some, some plans together for my life outside of footy. So I think one of the things that we've got really right there is we've got really good staff we've got, who've got really good intentions and, and there is a real wellbeing focus on the group. And, you know, I think the results come from what we do internally, how we connect, how we get along, how we help support each other and lift each other up. And, and having our lives in order away from, away from the field will also help with, with our team success. So, 
we, we've got a real team focus, you know. Individual accolade comes from team success in, in, our, um, in our eyes. And, you know, little things like that's been, when the baton's been passed, you know, the Gillaroo's way is always leave the place better for your presence. So, you know, we've, we've actually just inherited a lot of these values and culture. So being able to make sure that we bring them to life has been the important part in making sure this team's, you know, renowned for, for good culture. Yeah, Brad, you mentioned earlier about it's a great time to be a female athlete. So are you pleased with the coverage, the recognition, the respect, and also, importantly, remuneration for female athletes? Yeah, look, I'd, I'd, I wouldn't – I'm not – no. The answer's probably no. Like, I, I, um, I am certainly recognised where we've come to. But like I'm just looking at across at the at the UK and the the fifth the women's fifteens rugby uh, or, or full time athletes they're filling stadiums with a whole new bunch of uh, rugby fans and uh, fans and members. So look, I, I, I don't think we'll ever be ever be happy. It's like we'll never be happy in the men's game either. You know, like we're push, 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 push to to make sure. Look, I'm I'm not saying that we need to we need to see equity tomorrow, but what we need to do is is make sure we deliver the game to the right people. Um, we deliver it, um, we, we set it up so we can see those professional female athletes as soon as possible. And we're really lucky to have a, a commission, an ARL. The, the ARL commission have really pushed this along in the last 12 to 24 months. The expansion to 10 teams in the NRLW next year from six, it's, it's, they've, they've been tremendous in this. So I think, you know, as the CBA rolls around um, at the end of this year and into next year, we're going to see better remuneration for our athletes. We're going to see better opportunities, more games. The, the players have to, having to wear less, fewer hats. Like when I first started, the, the player used to have to play club footy, three different versions of representative footy. They had to play, if they got the opportunity to play for their state and their country, they, they could be wearing anywhere between five and six hats. So for us to be allowing to open it up the, the pathway so you basically play NRLW and then you can play your representative stuff on top of that is, yeah, really happy with where it's at but never happy until, you know, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, great answer. We, uh, we see the birth of the NRLW, which is where I want to go to next. So Brisbane's dominance, three-time premiers, they've been a joy to watch and then Suddenly this year we see an all-Sydney final in Redcliffe, of all places, and the Sydney Roosters get the job done on a wonderful day for Women's Rugby League in Brisbane. Yeah, it was, mate. And, and uh, in terms of, like, that was, I, I remember sitting up there as I have a responsibility to around the, the player of the match and, and putting some points in and a real pinch-me moment, just sitting up underneath the scoreboard, looking at that field full of supporters screaming and yelling and those those two teams going to battle and what a game it was. It was it was unbelievable. I I only have to think back to 2000 and 2013, um, an interstate match that we had between Queensland and New South Wales. The Queensland girls went in to Davies Park and and painted the change rooms the day before. So I was just thinking how far the game's come in 10 years and it was it was a tremendous game. It was uh, it was just so it was so great to see so many people come out. Like you said, two Sydney Sydney teams and Redcliffe was full. So um, it really shows the possibilities and the desire of the people to be involved in the women's game. Yeah, and we saw a, 
superb performance if you're talking about the Central Coast, Isabel Kelly. What a player. She's been a Golden Boot winner and she's from our local area. Would have been a star in any sport, but uh, what an ambassador she is for the women's game. Yeah, look, she's been tremendous too, mate, um, and played in our first test match when we in, in 2017 in May. She got an opportunity. Oh, she actually played in in the in the nines earlier in the year, but um, she got an opportunity to play in that Test match because poor old Semi Bremner knocked herself out in the last catch of the cra- captain's run the night before, and uh, Izzy came into that into that side. She scored a try on debut. Look, she's been she's been a pillar of strength for the, for the women's program ever since. Um, you know, anything that she's been asked to do, she's done. You've seen um, her develop on and off the field and um, her, like many others, you know, they've, they've done a tremendous job to to raise the bar every year to make sure that athletically our, our players are aspiring to be people like them. Hey, Brad, I did see you speak recently and it was at a coaches' conference and it was a terrific day, but you did say at the opening that if you lose the World Cup at the end of the year, you'll lose your job. Now, surely you were joking. Uh, we said at the start of the episode, your record is eight from eight. I mean, are you feeling external pressure to get the job done? No, I don't remember saying that. It would have been a throwaway. I yeah. don't think um, – oh, probably, yeah, probably along the lines of like it's um, with the amount of talent that we've got, at the moment, it's it would be like it you know it would be arrogant to think that we're going to win it. But um, you think of of the Australian talent on offer at the moment and where we're at. The girls have got to get through another NRLW season, and it's been a really hectic year. So it's going to be interesting to see how we do there. And outside of playing State of Origin in Canberra, I don't think um, the females, our females in Australia, have never experienced a, a long trip in the cold. Um, so that that's going to be interesting for us as well. Look, there's definitely I'll, I'll put pressure on myself to make sure uh, and and our staff to make sure that all of our girls fulfil their dreams of of winning the the 2021 World Cup this year. So yeah, there's there's definitely some pressure there internally. But um, yeah, I'd love to to and no, I think I'll take this team for a, for a couple more years in the contract and and like I said hopefully hand the baton over, have left it in a, in a nice place for the next person to come along and, and pick it up and do their thing with it. Yeah, trust me, you did say that. It was the start of your, uh, <laughs> it was the start of the PowerPoint presentation. And I thought, wow, Brad Donald's under some pressure. Hey, uh, on, the, um, on the Gillaroos Facebook page at the moment, there's a lot of debate about every single position and how many players are in line, uh, you know, which is obviously very healthy. But what are your main goals moving forward? What are the biggest challenges for you? And what happens between now and when you head over to England? Yeah, look, it's like I said, we're sport for choice at the moment. It's about getting the balance of the squad right. Like um, that was something that we're fortunate enough to do in t- 2017. You know, in terms of talent, there's there's an endless supply. You know, you could put any one of the NRLW teams fullbacks in the side and, and they'll do a fantastic job. You could say the same for, you know, centres, back rowers, hookers. There is there is lots and lots of talent. Uh, I think it's it's up to us to get the balance of experience and youth right. It's also up to us to make sure we get the the connection bit right, and we've always picked on 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 character. You know, that, that, again, that was just something that's been passed down through since since nineteen ninety three. That making sure that um, that Gillaroos are good humans and and they give outside of the game as well. So just getting that right is going to be the the probably the biggest hurdle. But and also 
letting down some players. Like uh, we, we we always make sure that we get hold of the, the the players that don't make the team, and we give them a really good understanding as to as to why. And you know, those phone calls are hard to make. Uh, especially on the eve of a, of a World Cup, and, and and breaking some some girls' hearts over over their their dreams and aspirations for this year aren't, isn't going to be easy. That's probably going to be the hardest thing that will that'll definitely be the hardest thing that I'll do this year potentially in my life. Yeah, yeah, and I certainly don't envy that because you can only take twenty four. Is that right? Yeah, that's right, mate. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll, we'll take twenty four and. I said you, you could take the New South Wales team as it was from the state of origin or you could take the Queensland team and you could also make up another team outside of the players that didn't get picked that would do a great job at the World Cup. So, And, and I'll, I'll guarantee you this now, that there will be somebody in that squad that we probably haven't even started talking about yet. And that's one of the great things with the women's game. You know, you know, pre, pre-last season, we knew who Emma Tonnegato was because she she played for the Gillaroos in 13 but and, and she was playing rugby, but you know, her first season in, she she ends up with a the Dally M medal, and and we, we there could be a bunch more young ladies out there that have that have been signed to clubs that will will bubble up over the season. Well, Brad, I'm not sure if you can answer this, but one of the sports that I've loved at the Commonwealth Games is the rugby sevens. Uh, there's a young girl, Faith Nathan, who grew up, went to school with my kids, and her cousins in the team as well, Soraya Parkey, but. They have been superb and they, they won the gold for the first time at the Commonwealth Games and we're seeing some girls go back and forth between games. Do you do you expect some of the Rugby Sevens girls to put their hand up for the NRLW season or is that is that unfeasible at the moment? Yeah, well, I actually think um, I think we will see that. Um, I think a couple of those players have, have signed with and, and they have bounced backwards and forwards. And look, the Rugby girls have been absolutely tremendous for the NRLW in, in 2020. I coached the the Warriors side based out of Sydney when we couldn't get the whole team across, and we had uh, Elia Green and Vani Politi who 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 came and and played with us then. And look, that was our first look into the full time athlete and those ladies and how they prepared for the, for the rugby sevens program. Just gave them that extra that extra um, inch in terms of performance for for our teams. And Charlotte Caslick played for the played for the Roosters that year as well, and and was tremendous. So I think I think we will. Like um, you know, Hannah Southwell's younger sister was uh, was over there with it with the with the program, and I think um, she signed up to play for for the Knights this year, and um, and we'll probably see a couple of others as well. I I suspect in your period, if we talk about the evolution of the game, what have been the biggest changes? Because we can. T- tell that there's some outstanding athletes but the skill level looks like it's just gone next level what are your thoughts yeah there's a couple of things and and again i think we can probably thank rugby for a a little bit of this because the profile of the sevens program and you know touch footy tag all these versions of 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 rugby league that that have been played or 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 similar sports um there's been great opportunities for our our females to, to come through and transfer into whether it be tackle tag rugby you know it's it's made them very skillful it's also it's also allowed those those faster play. A lot of people love watching the game because it's probably played like the men's game was, you know, 20 years ago in terms of the way we moved the ball and, um, you know, there's there's not a great deal of wrestle in the in the play the ball area and um, and it's it's free flowing. So the other thing that I've seen change a lot is those you know those fitness standards that we put in in 2016 and 17 that has like increased unbelievably and and we've seen the change in the body shape of the athlete. 
that's been part of that program as well. We're really making sure that we're we're looking after our athletes from an injury prevention point of view, strength, performance. So um, I think that's changed a lot as well, mate. Hey, Brad, before we finish today, I certainly don't want to get you to do a, a best 13, but we thought we might step through some of the players that stand out for you prior to the pandemic when everything went pear-shaped for a couple of years. So who would make that list for you and tell me why? Okay, so we're talking about a, a, a list. Well, well yeah, pre-pandemic, like it just it, – I'm, I'm not, and this isn't a cop out. The game, <laughs> if, the game evolves so quickly, and if you look at the team that was picked for the ANZAC Test in 2017 versus the 17 World Cup squad, you know, there's players like Lavina O'Mealy who came in, who was an incredible um, New South Wales and Indigenous player with unbelievable flair, and then into the 2018 team, and there was another. There was, there was probably, you know there would have been four or five more debutants and then the same thing in into 19, the emergence of players like Chelsea leonard Duty and Holly Wheeler and Millie Boyle and those sort of players. So it's it's really, really hard to say. Um, you know, Jess Surges and Izzy Kelly, you know, they've been around for a while and really established themselves at the top of the game back then. So Samai Mataufa is another player that's evolved from, you know, the 2016-17 program as well. Like I'm Without singling out, and I sound like I've singled out, singled out those <laughs> players, what we will see is we'll be talking about a player that, you know, the, we wouldn't have heard of now or, or was, was really low on the radar. Uh, that's the opportunity within women's rugby league at the moment, you know, like it's, we're seeing players step up. You know, Quincy Dodd had been in the system for a little while. Killy Joseph, um, a young player from the Roosters, you know, like players like this that have just sort of, they seem to have come out of nowhere, but they've been they've been milling around the game for a couple of years. I think we're going to see the emergence of some real superstars over this NRLW season, mate. When Corbin Baxter was on the podcast, I asked her about some of the players and uh, one of them that she said could go on to be the greatest of all time. And she was talking about Tamika Upton. Now that's, that's an incredible rap from a, a current player and a premiership winner for a rival. But we've seen the young lady from Rockhampton be absolutely scintillating at all levels. Yeah, look, that there's a natural player. Like, and, and again, with the background of playing as a young young lady with, with the boys, she just has that natural instinct to stick her head up in the right spot. She's got incredible speed and just this nous of, of where to be. So you can't coach that sort of stuff. You know, I was talking about Lavina O'Mealy a minute ago. That, that's the sort of player that she was. And and look, if you go back in time, you know, probably one of the greatest I've seen was, is Karen Murphy. You know, like she played one of her best games one of the best games of, of footy I've ever seen playing for Queensland. Uh, we pulled her out of retirement and she was well into her 40s in 2014 and and she got rated a 10 by Rugby League Week at the time, which is, you know, like they, they were as rare as, you know, she just had this absolute natural instinct of um, reading play, kicking game, passing. Those players are unbelievable. Yeah. Brad, we hear stories of Johnny Sattler playing with a broken jaw. Is there stories of like a woman in the Gillaroos who's done something that we may not know about but showed incredible toughness? Oh, look, I'm sure if you dig deep enough, you know, players like Katrina Fanning, like I know the mad front rowers that, <laughs> um, yeah, just, uh, yeah, there would definitely be some stories from from that era, the Tasha Gales, the, the Tani Norrises, you know, like I know Tani played with broken bones and, 
there's certainly those 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 stories uh, echo down the down the hallways of um, the ghosts of the the early Jullaroos. <laughs> hey, uh, what about coaches that have influenced you? Whether they're here in Australia or maybe you spent time overseas, could you name someone that's been pivotal in your journey? Yeah, look, I've been really fortunate, um, and I think you know I could. I, I could name a whole bunch of coaches that I've learned from that nobody would know. Just junior rugby league coaches. I'm really fortunate. Matty Geyer, actually, who's just dipping his toe in the in the women's game at the Titans this year. He he's been a coach down at Corumbin where our kids have been for for well over ten years now. He's a great coach. Neil Henry. I've been really fortunate enough to be involved with him from my time in Canberra all the way through, and 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 he works with us as well. And he's he's worked with the Gillaroos. He's an unbelievable coach who's got it covered from what's required for a six-year-old boy or girl all the way through to, you know, his, his astounding record with Queensland and, and an NRL head coach. And, yeah, there's, like, honestly, mate, there's, there's, there's so many. I think of Mars, Graham Murray. I, I was fortunate enough to have breakfast with him when I first got involved in the women's game, and I said, hey, Mars, you know, like, mate, how are you doing this? And he goes, <laughs> and just in his knockabout way, he goes, treat them like bloody football players, mate. That's all they want, you know. Don't treat them like a boy or a girl. They just want to be treated like footy players. And it was great advice from, from Mars, and, and it's why Mars was so well-loved by the playing group and, and all of his staff. So, you know, it was only a, a small insight to, to, to his, his coaching style, but um, quite often remind myself of, of that as well so little bits and pieces along the way mate I'm just so fortunate that I've worked in the game for a very long time and I've met you know junior coaches that have got as much to offer as the coaches I've got to say Mal's had a huge influence over the last um, since 2016 um, he's been he's been instrumental in the growth of the Gillaroos program um, as well so you know I was actually interviewed by the big fella for when, when I went for the for the job as the Gillaroos coach, and it was probably one of the the most daunting things that I ever had to do because uh, he, um, in his softly spoken way, he was quite forceful about what he what his vision was for the women's program and how he wanted it to line up with with the Kangaroos program. So, really, really fortunate to have access to you know the Thirteenth Immortal and and his program and the way he does things. So yeah, there's just a few people, mate, that I've been really fortunate enough to to, um, to be influenced and guided by. Yeah, and, you know, I still remember watching him play for Souths in Brisbane with Peter Jackson in that team as well when he was a young police officer. What a legend of the game. Brad, uh, I do have to ask this. Mate, is one of your regrets doing a Level 3 coaching course in 2005 and you were told that you could go and have a couple of quiet ones (laughs) and (laughs) led astray by one uh, Tony Clark, I believe. Yeah, yeah, no, Clarkie would have been up to his earballs in making sure we got out. That's 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 for sure. But um, yeah, no, some really fond memories of, again, you know, like sitting at a, a coach's course like that with blokes like Tony Clark. You know, I had, a, I had a couple of mates that I was close with, unfortunately passed. Now Rick Keese from the Riverina, Dave Scott from Western Division, who were unbelievable coaches and country coaches in their own right, which um, were really strong on the human connection stuff. Yeah, but yeah, you learn from from blokes like that and learn how to get in trouble as well. 
Yeah, Brad, uh, we've got to promote this as the man who's perfect, Brad Donald. Eight from eight, off to a World Cup later on this year, and you've done just an outstanding job with the Gillaroos. In my small way of being involved on game day, I've absolutely loved every minute of watching the women's game, and congratulations to you and the team, and best wishes for the rest of 2022. Mate, we really appreciate your support, and um, and thanks very much for having me, Steve. It's, it's been a pleasure. Brad Donald on the Perfect Ten, head coach of the Gillaroos, the Australian Women's Rugby League team. As you heard, Brad's got some real sleepless nights ahead, some selection dilemmas. We're about to have NRLW2 in 2022. Sydney Roosters are the reigning premiers after their win over St. George Illawarra. And from that season, Brad will choose 24 to defend our title in England later on this year. Thanks, as always, to Robson Civil Projects, our naming rights partner, and a special shout-out to Grant Robson for joining us earlier on this podcast. Don't forget, if you'd like to work for Robson Civil Projects in the future, simply jump on their website. They need great people in their business as they continue to grow in 2022 and beyond. By the way, if you think there's a guest that I should invite on The Perfect Ten, simply message me on all the social media and we'll see if my people can talk to their people. Thanks for listening. That is a wrap. Episode 39 of The Perfect 10. Take care. We'll catch you again soon.